Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's speak to Professor John Tong about the, the border. Uh, John, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Uh, we're getting mixed messages here. Also, indeed, some people will be lacking an understanding as to deal or, or no deal. Uh, who's right when they say, uh, for example, Boris Johnson saying that Britain can avoid borders, the Taoiseach saying that there will be checks close to the, the border? Uh, how do you see it? There has to be some checks. The, the scale of those checks and where they take place is a matter for, for some debate. Yeah, the, the warnings couldn't have been starker. The, the T-shirt basically said there's going to be <clears throat> quite, a, quite a high level of checks at or near the border. And they will involve uh, tariff checks, so customs checks, and they'll involve checks on the standards of, of products going across that border. The entirely opposite message was given by Boris Johnson yesterday, who simply said, we're not going to do uh, any checks. The truth lies, I think, somewhere actually in the middle. There has to be uh, a customs operation. Countries are obliged, even under WTO rules, to, to uh, respect the integrity of borders. And if there is a different tariff regime, then there have to, has to be tariff checks. Now, what, what could happen, of course, is that the UK says, well, you know, no tariffs on, on good. We're going to have our tariff regime at exactly the same level as the European Union. So why would there be a need necessarily uh, for checks in terms of, of, of tariffs? But then you've got the problem of the UK being out of the single market, and that's really where the headaches lie, because a lot of that cross-border trade is agricultural, and there has to be checks on, on the standards of products going across the border. So livestock will need to be checked uh, at or near the border. Um, all, any, any live product has to be checked. Other agricultural products, the standards have to be checked. Now, on day one, why should there be a, a great deal of, of uh, a, a checks operation? Why would there need to be? The idea that the UK is going to try and flood uh, the Republic with you know, inferior or, or different products of different standards is, is fantasy. But as time goes on, and there's potentially increased regular, regulatory divergence between the EU single market and the UK, the chlorinated chicken imports from the United States is, is the example that's always used, then, of course, there will be increased checks, despite all the warnings that have come from the current chief constable of Northern Ireland, the chief constable, the, the, the head of the, the guards in the Republic, and indeed the, the former chief constable, um, George Hamilton, who wasn't simply making a play for increased resources because he was still issuing these warnings about the dangers of border checks, even when he knew he was leaving the police service in Northern Ireland. So it wasn't just a bid for more resources.
But do you imagine the checks to be like the checks I remember when I was young along the border? They were evidently on the border, close to the border, at the border, a mile from the border, but they were without doubt border checks. They they were static. You pulled in, you were held up. I'm not talking about military checks. I'm talking here about the checks for customs and the primarily for articulated lorries going back and forward across the border but everyone was held up behind them do, do you see those checks uh, appearing on what is now a, a, a M one motorway going across the border or do you see those checks as being on the minor little by roads and country roads across the border or will they be rolling checks where people are pulled in at random will they be much further south whereby you're uh, being checked at some depot or factory how, 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 how will it look in your, in your estimation no one has offered any detail on that on either side of the border uh, we've still got the Boris Johnson head-in-the-sand approach in, in which there's simply not going to be any checks. And you even the Taoiseach, although he was talking about a plethora of checks uh, in his speech yesterday, didn't indicate where, when, frequency, etc. Th- those are issues of detail yet to be resolved. But first thing to say is the EU will protect the integrity of its single market, and that means that the Irish government will have to carry out uh, checks on its side of the border. Now, yeah, I, I don't envisage the M1. I don't envisage checks on, on, on the motorway. I think what would have to happen, um, and this is speculative, it's important to, to say that, is that there would be designated crossings for, for commercial vehicles, uh, which could be subject to checks. The, it will be light touch, I think, initially, and will be intelligence-led rather than you know, proactive, disruptive, highly visible because the political sensitivities of a high-vis customs and uh, regulatory uh, checks on the border uh, approach, I mean, potentially, politically, that is utterly, utterly disastrous. It's what both sides uh, want to avoid. So there's still a lack of clarity. I suppose the the Irish government would still as well cling to the hope that, uh, given there's not going to be a a no-deal Brexit unless Boris Johnson wins big at an election, which on the polling evidence doesn't um, look likely. He may scrape a majority, but no more than that on the current polling evidence. None of this may c- come into play. I mean, you've got, you've got to remember that. That potentially forgotten <laughs> this week that, frankly, uh, the chances of, of the UK exiting without a deal from the European Union are, are, are pretty slim after the developments at, at Westminster this week. You know, Boris Johnson would have to win big at an election to get rid of those Conservative rebels, have sufficient majority to get a no-deal Brexit through Parliament. It, you know, the, only, the only other way that the UK is going to leave without a deal, um, which would take care of, of the, the border arrangements, uh, would be if the European Union itself rejects Britain's request for an extension uh, to membership. So you know, we, we may be talking hypothetically here anyway about any, any need uh, for border structures. But I think you know, in terms of the apparatus, it, it will be intelligence-led. A lot of the, the, the non-live uh, products a lot of the non-agricultural uh, cross-border trade can be done online. You, you can have a customs regime that's done online. The issue, though, is, is the, the problem is the nature of much of that cross-border trade because it doesn't lend itself to an online customs operation. And just one final point, John. If the tangible evidence of a border is south of what we see as the geographical border, is there any security risk then? 
Well, given what Republicans have always said that they they don't operate, they they are under strict, you know, IRA orders not to um, uh, attack uh, forces in the south. Then, you know, perhaps uh, that can be avoided. And I think that the British government is is cognizant of that. That the that the UK government knows the risks of introducing a, a uh, any sort of uh, visible customs operation uh, in the north. Uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they will be security and intelligence led. Uh, in, in that respect. So, yeah, I mean, there could be the supreme irony of, of um, you know, the Irish government having to reinforce the partition of what it would still see, I suppose, you know, ideologically in some form uh, as, it, as its own country. Um, yeah, but as a member of the European Union, you know, the EU will be looking to Ireland, the Irish government, to enforce the integrity of the single market. Um, that's why the backstop has been in play politically now and has not budged in terms of its content uh, for two and a half years. It's why the backstop will remain central to any um, political deal, um, because otherwise there's no other way of dealing with the border. John, we've one other story coming up here very shortly. I'm going to be talking to some journalists about it. I know you're a professor of politics as opposed to a professor of history, but all our front pages here in Northern Ireland this morning are covering a story from BBC Spotlight, which will be shown next week. And they have unearthed footage of Martin McGuinness apparently loading a car bomb. I'm, you know, it's footage that hasn't been seen before. Uh, it's, it's, high, it's, it's hardly going to totally shock people that Martin McGuinness may have been involved in a bombing campaign at, at, at some time. But it's still, you know, he, on, considering the journey he was on through his, his life and he became a Deputy First Minister and all of that is just a reminder of the, the dark era and that you also see him in a car where he is showing a rifle to children and he's even handing, uh, apparently handing bullets to, to the children. So there's pre- pretty stark imagery. And the, the other uh, part of this documentary uh, has a, a leading member of the British Army, an ex-army uh, leader, uh, describing how Ian Paisley was involved in a UVF bombing campaign right at the, the start of the Troubles, how he funded the, the UVF. Do, do, does any of that as a professor of politics uh, su- surprise you? Well, first of all, the footage, the footage will be startling, I'm sure. The second thing is, though, yeah, as you say, it's no surprise. Martin McGuinness in, was in the IRA shock. I mean, Martin McGuinness was a self-confessed member of the IRA. The, 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 always the, the risable aspect of Martin McGuinness in, in that respect was that when he claimed to have left the IRA in 1974, well, why and, uh, and how? I mean, no one, no one really seriously uh, believe that. So the footage will be interesting, but uh, the idea that Mo- it's a surprise that Martin McGuinness was a, was a member of the IRA and involved in IRA campaigns uh, will surprise no one. The Paisley aspect, I think, is actually slightly more interesting because that was always a controversial aspect of Ian Paisley's career, is that the, the extent of his links with loyalist paramilitaries. I mean, you remember the Ulster resistance of the 1980s. Now, now as soon as they started importing arms from uh, South Africa, and what was largely a botched operation anyway, but Paisley said that he immediately did disowned any connection uh, with loyalist paramilitarism. So if evidence has been unearthed that Paisley actually was in cahoots with loyalist paramilitaries, then you know, that perhaps is, is the more surprising angle, given that it, it was always the line that he was a, ultimately a constitutional, at least a semi-constitutional politician uh, as leader of the DUP who did not support in any shape or form paramilitary activities. So I think that that is... Uh, quite a revelation, whereas the, the McGuinness was in the IRA 
stuff, notwithstanding some startling footage, is perhaps uh, of less surprise. Well, I'm just looking at the headlines, uh, and the Belfast Telegraph says, McGuinness and Paisley in new claims over their terror roles. The newsletter says, McGuinness bombed and gave bullets to kids. Uh, Mc, uh, Paisley doesn't make the headline in the newsletter, but he does make the story. But the Irish News, they go with Paisley as the headline, uh, saying Paisley funded UVF blast, says retired British Army chief. But maybe the best headline goes to the Daily Mirror this morning that shows that iconic picture of Paisley and McGuinness laughing. And the headline is Chuckle Bombers. That's a, that's a it's a superb headline. It yeah, is. that's a, it is. They won the prize of the day for the uh, uh, the top headline. I mean, there, there was always you know, there was always this, this controversy about them re- being reinvented as, as statesmen of, of the troubles, um, uh, given their roles um, in at the time of you know the Stormont and, and, and the Chuckle Brothers uh, and these revelations that they are interesting. Uh, in in that respect, I say pay, I, I always think that the thought of the Paisley aspect of links with loyalist paramilitaries. There were some, uh, both biographers of him and some academics, tried to investigate that, but they didn't really get that far uh, in terms of, of Ian Paisley's his role. They never, you know, there was always a missing link in terms of Paisley's connections with loyalist paramilitaries. Well, we'll be looking towards the BBC Spotlight programme on Tuesday night to see exactly what's in it, but we'll be talking to some journalists who have been viewing it at a, at a private viewing uh, very, very shortly. Uh, John, good speaking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank Pleasure. you.